that's what all truth is doing, is saying he is here. Here is all of him. He, it's the mighty God being unveiled before us so that we can see him. So as we talk about message doctrine, and what I, what I love so much is how, how terrible it's, 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 just, it's just become. It's like, it, you know, if I, if I tell you like, yeah, I'm going to preach this message doctrine sermon, and some people are already, they're ready to check out. It's like, oh, yay, another one of those. I don't know what that's even going to do in my life. Now I get thunders and now I get seals. Yay, go me. But frankly, can't we just talk about Jesus? Can't we just talk about Jesus? And people feel that way. And, and unfortunately, what's happened is, is we've come through a time period where, where a message has been preached and God sent a prophet, God sent a prophet, God sent a prophet. You know God sent a prophet, right? God sent a prophet. God sent a prophet. And this is, you know, I'm not saying that preaching actually happens like this, but sometimes after time and time and time and sermon after sermon and everything seems so messagey and we begin to start having this idea in our minds that the ministers are just talking about Brother Branham and man, couldn't we, could we just talk about Jesus because I'm kind of actually tired of talking about Brother Branham because it seems like our focus has gotten on Brother Branham and it's not on Jesus Christ and I'm starting to feel like something's wrong. Wow, there was a lot of amens. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. So what we want to do is begin to... Con- but the problem is, is so, so the problem is, is we begin to disconnect the message from Jesus Christ. And when we begin to disconnect the message from Jesus Christ, we begin to have some serious problems in our minds because then we're preaching the message, but people are like, yeah, but I want to be a Christian. And then, they get, then, then we begin to get bitter about the message. We begin to get bitter about God sending a prophet. We begin to get like, I don't even know if I want this whole message thing because frankly, I have some nice Pentecostal friends. I have some nice Baptist friends and they all love Jesus. And it seems like they maybe even love Jesus more than we do at our church because we love Jesus and his prophet. And sometimes I wonder if we love his prophet too much. And so then the Baptist and Pentecostal begins to look very appealing and maybe even more true or sincere because, because, this, because the separation in our minds has happened and instead of understanding that the message is revealing Christ and the message is Christ and that, look, that phrase shouldn't be, you know, that phrase shouldn't make anybody bitter. That phrase shouldn't make anybody like, oh my goodness, I just get so offended when the brothers get up there and they say, this message is Christ. Anybody ever gotten bitter about that one? Yeah, okay, let's not raise your hands. That's fine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, but I know that people have. And I know that people have gotten upset and people have walked away from this message because of the very things that I've said to you, you know, over the last couple of minutes. Is that people have gotten disillusioned with the faith because they began to, what their understanding was, was that it was all about this prophet and maybe a little bit of Jesus Christ sprinkled in. And instead of seeing the picture that that Brother Branham was trying to bring. And the idea is, is that God sent this prophet and vindicated him. And we spend a lot of time talking about the indication of a prophet because without that you don't understand that that God chose one vessel to work through to restore this faith as he said he would in the book of Joel 
back to the back to the original faith of the fathers, as he said in the book of Malachi, and to tie up all of these loose ends, as he said in the book of Revelation. And there, we've got to show who that is, so that we can understand this is the one that God has picked to, to by the Holy Spirit work through to bring all truth to you. And when all truth is brought to you, it doesn't just make you a better Christian. It doesn't make you just a more informed believer than the Pentecostals. But it literally is introducing Jesus Christ to you. Because without that, and so what we're going to do in this sermon is I'm going to build up a picture of what Jesus Christ looks like with message doctrines. And I'm going to build up a picture of what Jesus Christ looks like with your normal denominational Christian doctrines of the day. And then I'll just say, which one would you like to be a part of? Would you like to be a part of the Jesus that message doctrine brings to you? Or would you like to have the Jesus that denominational doctrine brings to you? And the difference is going to be so so clear and the, star, the contrast will be so stark that, that you'll be like... I want, I want message. And so the idea is, is that I'm not just trying to present to, but I'm trying to show you through this that it is the doctrines of this message that are bringing all truth to us, that are showing us who Jesus Christ is in a way, like if, so, so that you'll never be able to truly ever say, you know, I, I just don't, I, I, I don't need this message anymore. I just want Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm going to just, like, if you, if you, if you want to be able to say that, you should leave now because, like, you'll never be able to say that. And, and be honest. Well, nobody's ever really being honest when they say that. But, you know, you won't be able to delude yourself after this moment because that's what we're going to, it's just going to be so obvious to you. So, Brother Branham in the message, is this the sign of the end, sir, where a lot of this thought comes from? It says, the seventh angel is winding up all the mysteries that's laying loose-ended. All through these denominations, organizations and denominations, the seventh angel gathers them up and finishes the entire mystery. Now, on the slide before that, it says that these mysteries are laying loose-ended all through these organizations and denominations. And I want to make this point that it, he, Brother Branham is not saying there is no truth in denominations and there's no truth in organizations. No, there's loose-ended mysteries that are all through these organizations and denominations. They have some truth. There are bits and pieces of truth that they have. And, that, and, and let's be honest, you know, as... As time has rolled on, there have been many come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a good relationship with Jesus Christ throughout the ages without that what we have. But what we have today is, by God's grace, the perfect interpretation of the word of God with divine vindication. So why would we, why would we turn our back on that? Though we don't, we, we, so I'm, I'm not saying we should despise denominations because they don't have, look, no, even Brother Branham is saying there's some truth there, but now, but we're living in an age where we have the Holy Spirit to bring us all truth. So we would want to walk in the light thereof. Amen? So this message is this, the sign of the end, sir. Um, and you can go to the title slide back. Uh, and this, this is the message. This is the, uh, the second to last message Brother Branham preaches in 1962. It's, it's has he's informing the church of all of these, these uh, six dreams and capped off by a vision. 
And, you know, he, he, he reads Revelations 10, 1 through 7. He goes through all of that because he knows that they're, and he's talking about a constellation of angels that he's going to see when he goes out to Tucson and that there's something that's going to happen and a change in his ministry and all of these things that he's, and, and I, I hope this is not new information to you. You can, after the young people, you get done reading, uh, listening to Satan's Eden. Everybody can um, listen to, is this the sign of the end, sir, maybe this week, <clears throat> just to brush up on these things. But, but Brother Branham then begins to talk about, and he'll go to Matthew chapter 13, and he'll read uh, Matthew chapter 13, and what, what he'll begin to talk about is there in Matthew chapter 13, and, and feel free to turn there for sure, especially if you have a Schofield Bible. Um, I don't. I'm a Thompson Chain guy, and, um, but I still love my pastor, even though he likes the uh, Schofield Bible. Matthew chapter 13 and verses 10 through 17. And, uh, and so we'll read here verses um, 10 and 11. Uh, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So he's talking here about the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, if you had the Schofield Bible, you'll see in the, in the margin there that Schofield will begin to talk, he will begin to list mysteries um, and Brother Branham in this sermon goes and lists the mysteries that Schofield has in, in the, I think it's not in the margin, it's underneath in the Schofield. And, and so he begins to list the mysteries and he talks about the Catholic Church and different things that are there. And then, and we're going to read this quote here in a little bit, Brother Branham will then say, well, and, and through my ministry basically saying, that, and, and list more mysteries that the seventh angel reveals. And so he's using this. And so we want to begin to take a, a, an idea of our, our thought here as we're just, I'm just building a platform here. And so, so we, we want to begin to understand biblical doctrine here. And he says, um, these people ask, they, they ask a really good question here. The disciples are like, why are you speaking to them in parables? Jesus, why, why not just talk plainly? You're the Messiah. Can you just tell people exactly what they need to know and make it real plain so they can get it? Like, if you really wanted to save them, Jesus, why wouldn't you do that? Is that a fair question? Wouldn't that make sense? Right? Okay. <clears throat> but Jesus says, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Jesus speaking, right? Okay. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not... From him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now, how many have read this scripture before and went, man, that just doesn't seem fair. Maybe you read the Bible differently than I do, but I try to be real honest with myself. And like, that was my impression. And when I first read this, it was like, that's what's up. I have, like, I have one candy bar. And to them who have a candy bar, I get another candy bar. <laughs> Do you have a candy bar? You don't get another one. <laughs> Does that seem fair? Like, like this young man was just like, like what? Right? But this is Jesus speaking. Okay, so, okay, we'll, we'll continue on and we'll, we'll, we'll go back to that. Therefore, I speak to them, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And then in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. 
Seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And should understand with their heart and should be converted. converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So if we go back here now to verse 11. Now, Jesus is saying, one more please. Jesus is saying, unto you it's given to know the mysteries, but not to them. So in Jesus' mind, there are two groups of people. And he's speaking to one very openly, and he's speaking to another group in parables. Because one group it's given to understand, and one group it's not given. As a matter of fact, he's quoting a prophecy of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 6, um, 9, some, somewhere in there. Um, and, he's, and he's telling them, like, look, there are, there are a group of people who they, they're going to see it, but, they, but no. They'll never actually understand. They'll never actually get it. And there's going to be a group of people that do. And this seems unfair from God because, well, God, how do you, how do you choose? Why do some, why, as a disciple, Jesus, why do I get to, just because I was a fisherman that you called one day? Like, how does that work? Like, why me and not this guy? So, and then we, we have to understand that Jesus is going to do things very biblically. Is that correct? I mean, God never changes his word. He always acts very consistent. So, so where in the Bible can we, where do we find in the Bible anything that could tell us that there was one group of people who had what, they could, who had what was necessary to hear and one group of people who did not have what was necessary to hear? Did I say that right? Yes, one group, they have something to hear with, and another group, they don't have something. How, where in the Bible, before Jesus, is this point firmly established? Anywhere. We can go to the book of Genesis, and we can understand, and we can go to Genesis chapter 3, and we can understand that, 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 that now we have thy seed and the woman's seed. So you can understand there are, look, there are a group like here. And, and then you can begin to go into like people who have their names written on the book of life. Well, who are those people? Well, they're the same people. And if you begin to study things on the book of life, you understand there's people who have their names on the book of life. You have people whose names will be added. You have people whose names will be blotted out. And you have people whose names just never were on there. And how does that even work? Is that just, you know, randomness? No, they're, they're, they're at, at one point in time, there was an actual physical event that happened that said, here are, God created Adam and Eve. They had what they, they had in them, something to hear with. And then Eve had a relationship with, with the serpent and Cain came and Cain did not have inside of him what he, anything to hear with. Cain's name was never going to be on the book of life Abel's name was always going to be on the book of life because of who their father was. 
So you begin to, so now it's not random and arbitrary, although we don't know. And now in a sense, it's moved in from physical into a spiritual application. However, doctrinally, what we're stating here is we're showing that because of serpent seed, what Jesus is saying here makes sense. Are we together? But let's remove the doctrine of serpent seed because let's be honest, if you're not a message believer, where now 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 we'll get into where the the the, the Israelites, the Pharisees, they understood serpent seed, but since then, like what what Christian denomination or group even believes in serpent seed? It's just if if there's any, I don't even know it. So so let's remove what the prophet teaches us as one of these mysteries of the last age from our understanding. And now let's go through Matthew chapter 13 here. And Jesus is saying to you, it's given to them. It's not given and ask your Baptist friend who doesn't believe serpent seed because they've, they, they don't want the message and ask them what, how does this make sense? What is Jesus doing here? Jesus says, you guys get it. You guys don't. How is Jesus being fair? Your Baptist friend will have no answer. Well, 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 they accepted. Okay, so how did they accept? Well, because they heard. (laughs) These people can't accept because they can't hear it. And then you go to John chapter 8, and Jesus begins to talk to the the Pharisees. And he says, "You're you're of your father the devil. And what's their response? We be not born of fornication. And he, and he begins to say, why can't you understand my speech? It's because you don't have in you anything to hear with. And so the prophecy in Isaiah that he's talking about makes sense because you can understand Jesus is attaching the inability to hear directly to the doctrine of serpent seed of their father being the devil. So you have an actual event that happened that produced like, look, when God originally created and there was Adam and Eve, like the idea was, you know, they're going to have spoken word children and the book of life. These names, that's the only people going to be expressed. There was, never, there was never intended to be a person on the earth whose name was not on the book of life, but then Eve had a relationship with the serpent. And now we're, and, and here we are. And because of that, now we have doctrines and we have, we have these, these things written in the book so we understand it, and, but we understand that God is not being arbitrary. So we begin, because of the doctrine of serpency, we can begin to look at a picture of Jesus in a denominational understanding, and you could say, how does Jesus, with a denominational understanding, pick and choose who gets to hear and who doesn't? And the only answer you have is random. <clears throat> Man, you just... You just want to serve Jesus, don't you? Like, I just hope I'm randomly chosen through divine selection. And it's like, that's not the same thing as election. It's just not. Right? So, so over here, Jesus is random. But over here, because of the message, because we have, like, we have the understanding and the revelation brought by the prophet in our day, brought by this seventh angel that God had to send, and we talk about him being vindicated, and, and this message is Christ, suddenly begins to start making some sense because we can understand that this message, that part of is bringing us the message, the doctrine of serpent seed, shows us Jesus isn't random. 
But he understands that there was a problem that happened in Eden. Amen? And he's very consistent. Well, man, I like to serve a consistent God. Because there's all kinds of idols, you know. Man, idolatry back in the day, they were just like, oh, well, it hasn't rained for too long. We... I guess he's mad. Let's sacrifice a goat. You know, or one of our sons. Or something. Like, they had no idea, right? And so let's not bring Jesus Christ into the same randomness that idolatry back in, you know, the days of Nimrod was. We don't, we don't, we don't that's not the Jesus Christ that we can know and love and serve. Amen? So we can begin then... On slide 18, we can begin to say, uh, we can begin to read what the, the portion here in the, is this the sign of the answer that I was speaking of. That's, as he's commenting on uh, Matthew 13, 11, that's some of the mysteries that this angel is supposed to wind up. All the mystery, all the mysteries of God. May I say this with reverence and not referring to myself, but referring to the angel of God. And then he begins to list these, these mysteries. The serpent seed, that's been a hidden mystery all through the years. The grace straightened out. Not disgrace, but real true grace. No such thing as an eternal burning hell. You'll burn for millions of years, but anything that was eternal had never a beginning or an end, and hell was created. All these mysteries, the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, without sensation, but the person of Christ performing in you the same works that he did. The mystery of water baptism, where the extreme Trinitarianism has brought it into titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The mystery of the Godhead being fulfilled in the baptism of the name of Jesus Christ, according to the book of Revelations that the church in this time was to receive. There is some of the mysteries. The pillar of fire returning back. Amen. That's the thing that's supposed to take place, and we see it. Oh, how we could go on naming the mystery, seeing that pillar of fire had led the children back of Israel, the same one that struck down Saul on his road to Damascus, and the same one coming with the same power, doing the same things and revealing the same word, staying word by word with the Bible. And this is a very good point here that he ends this thought on, is he's staying word by word with the Bible. As we brought out the doctrine of serpent seed just now, That was word by word with the Bible. Actually, more word by word with the Bible than denominational understanding because you can ask them about Matthew 13, 11, and they're, "Mm -hmm, no, I don't know how that works. It's like, well, what about all of these other scriptures? Because we're staying word by word with the Bible. And that's the entire point here is that Brother Branham's not bringing out anything that isn't already in the Bible. He's merely revealing to us those things that we've lost through the ages because of the devil's plan. And now we see them. And when we see them, what he's saying to us is he is here. That I am, I am showing who Jesus Christ is to you. Amen? So, so he's staying word by word with the Bible while he's doing it. So we can list these, um, these things just so you can see them uh, very um, close, close together. Serpent seed, grace straightened out, no eternal hell, baptism of the Holy Ghost, 
without sensation, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, Godhead, and I don't have the pillar of fire on here. But those are the mysteries that he's, he's, he's now going to go in and he's gonna, he's, there's going to be a paragraph or two on each one of these things. And we're going to break these things down and look at each one of these and, show, and begin to continue to build our two pictures with these doctrines and without these doctrines. So the other thing I would, just, I would just add is that this is not the only time Brother Branham has given this list. There were other um, weekend of meetings that Brother Branham would take or multiple Sundays in a row that he would take. And he preaches the baptism of the Holy Ghost, um, why we are in a denomination, I think, or why I'm against organized religion. There's a few tapes and serpent seed. There's one where he preaches those three all together, and he lists this entire list again. This list, Brother Branham understood, were things that were... Uh, that he, in, in those other sermons, he, he said, These, I, we have a lot of new people in the tabernacle, so we need to go over some of the things that we believe. So this list is a set of, of things that Brother Branham knew that his ministry was bringing out that other ministries were not because he knew who he was. Now, you could say, well, what about the seals? Because Brother Branham doesn't list the seals, and this is before the seals. That's, the seals don't change this list. The, the seals actually are the, are the event being manifested of the pillar of fire, right? Like it's, it's the manifestation of who, of Brother Branham truly becoming Malachi 4, 5, and 6 and truly becoming that seventh angel and fulfilling those, fulfilling those scriptures. So there's, a, there's mysteries there that and definitely things that we, that we learn through those things. But this is a, this is a list that you're not going to find anywhere else. And I don't have time to go through all of the other things that we could find and the seven seals for you this morning as well. So you're welcome. So, <clears throat> and you could listen to those sermons and try to look through all that yourself too. Okay, so let's go through the list. So we begin to talk about serpent seed, and we've already understood that, <clears throat> that without serpent seed, the, the two groups of people that Jesus is talking about don't make any sense. But there's other things in the Bible that don't make sense if, um, if you don't believe in the doctrine of serpent seed. So you could ask your your good Baptist or Pentecostal friends, why did Jesus have to be born a virgin birth? Well, so that, because that's a miracle. And God wanted to come on his, you know, he wanted to show up in a miracle. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, that's how the Pharisees were expecting him to come, was to just come down from in clouds of glory and I am here Caiaphas you know worship me let's go take out take out the Romans like that's what they were expecting that still would have been a miracle but Jesus but no he's got to come born a virgin birth why because of serpent seed because that's how birth was supposed to happen. And you could listen to spoken word as the original seed if you have an extra six hours sometime. And you could, and, and, and you could, you could begin to understand that what Brother Branham is saying is, is the spoken word, the original seed, that was supposed to come life in human flesh and should have come with, with Adam and Eve speaking their own children into existence. But that word had been held back because of serpent seed and because of original sin and had waited all of the time until it comes to marriage. Mary, and Mary is being told, you're going to have a child. And she says, be it unto me according to your will. And the spoken word became original seed and became birthed in the womb of Mary. Be- 
because that's how it was supposed to happen originally is through the spoken word. And so that was held. So, so, so you, like it doesn't make sense. Virgin birth doesn't make, really actually make sense unless you understand serpent seed. We have things like the bride being a chaste virgin. Well, that, that matters. Why? Well, because of serpent seed, because it's supposed to be spoken word. The word is supposed to be spoken into your life for you to become born as a child of God. Um, the consequences of sin make sense, that it's death. Why? Well, because it was a sin against life, right? It was a perversion of true life, and so the consequence had to be death. And then, so then let's talk about the new birth now. Why, why do you need a new birth, Baptist friend? Why must you be born again? What was wrong with your first birth? Well, as you know, Brother Trevor, the Bible speaks in a couple of verses that we always combine from Psalms that we always combine together, and we say it as, as we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and came into the world speaking lies. So, so obviously, we, we were born a sinful birth. Well, well Why? Were you born a sinful birth? Were you, were, did God create things that way? Well, no, of course he didn't. But then because of the fall now, we're all born sinners. Right, just because of the fall. Like Eve ate an apple and bam, you're born sinners now because of the curse. Or was it because of the actual fall event that meant your birth came the wrong way? Yes, yes. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't need a new birth. Amen? See, the reality of what we're trying to find, what we're trying to get, what we're trying to have in our lives is that where Jesus was born, we're born again. Which means I need to be born of the word of God. I need to become a spoken word, son or daughter of the living God, just like Jesus was when the angel spoke to Mary and Jesus, that word took place in the womb of the heart of faith of a young virgin and, and, and life sprang forth. So does the word need to be spoken to you and it's got to be accepted in faith that says, be it unto me according to your word and life strikes and makes, brings forth a new birth in your life just like Jesus had in his first birth. Where Jesus was born, you must be born again. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so, but what's so wonderful about that is if it's about being born again, if it's about the life coming and taking place, look, I don't care what you do. I don't care the failures your flesh might have. What, what happens to you in your life? If you're born again and you're born in the same birth that Jesus himself had, will you or will you not take a rapture? So if you're born again and then you're sitting there quivering in fear because the devil is beating you up for your mistakes and for your failures, I, were you born again or not? Because if you were born again, the mistakes and the failures don't matter anymore because what matters is, is that the life of Jesus Christ has been accepted into the womb of your, of, of your heart and believed and it's become life. And there's, look, Jesus doesn't take it away. We'll get into the baptism of the Holy Ghost and how some people believe the baptism of the Holy Ghost, particularly your, your, uh, 
United Pentecostals. Oh, here, speak in tongues and have the Holy Ghost. Oh, did you sin? Sorry. Give me that back. That's not how it works. It's not how new birth works. You don't, you don't, it's like, oh, look, you were reborn into the, into Jesus Christ. Oh, you failed. Hmm. Let's uh, rewind time and undo that birth. No, that's not how that works. Right? Amen. So what's it about then? Well, okay, let's continue on here. Because this now, now people, now the legalists in our, in our midst start getting a little like, well, Brother Trevor, you know, of course, we can't condone sin. Because you're just saying get born again. Like what you're saying, Brother Trevor. And we can go to the next slide. Because we need to talk about grace straightened out. Because what brother, obviously what Brother Trevor is just saying right now is, is that once you're born again, you can just do whatever you want. You know, this whole idea of once saved, always saved. You know, you've heard anybody say that before? You, I don't know how many people talk to Baptists and Pentecostals and people at a seminary, but they find me. I don't find them. And just a just point of note, like, I, this sermon has been a product of many years of my life and, and thinking about, like, I've always wanted to have this kind of an idea, but, but most of these, the examples and the things that I'm saying to you are going to be conversations that I had with people that I didn't go seek to, you know, stump the chump at some, with some seminarian. I was just minding my own business, watching a guy juggle one time and had a conversation about, you know, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what's written on my forehead, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not, there, there are going to be times that I might get a little you know, punchy, <laughs> and I'm not trying to be mean, but if I'm, if I'm going to show this, like I really want to show this for how this side over here as we build this picture, like I want to show it for how ridiculous it truly is, all right? So, so as we talk about, we're talking about grace straightened out, and here I am talking about the new birth, and that's what matters, and it does the mistakes and the failures, and, and it sounds like I'm kind of condoning sin here, but I'm not. And Brother Branham talks about, you know, it's like, well, he drinks all that he needs, wants to drink, right? Smokes all that he wants to smoke. The idea is, is when the new birth happens, grace is straightened out. It's not, it's not just like, well, you sinned. Oh, did you sin? Like, okay, did you, did you sin this week? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Everybody else is just thankful that they're not you right now, but they're all like... <laughs> Don't say no, brother. It's just, he's got you there. It's like, all right, come to the altar. Repent right now. Okay, get it, get it. Okay, now back to your seat. Good. Be good now, all right? You're going to have to come back to the altar. For sakes, you young people, man. <laughs> right? And so then, so then you have this constant like, oh, I sinned. Now I got to repent. I gotta, oh, I sinned. Now I got to repent. And, 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 and we believe in grace, but I mean... We can't. We 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 don't believe in sin, so we got to find a balance there somehow. Where is that balance between just killing yourself at the altar all the time for every little thing that you did, and believing actually that the grace of Jesus Christ is the thing that saves you? And so the problem is is and well, you have to get into Godhead, which we will here in a little bit. The problem is is that when you don't have Jesus Christ as one, and when the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost aren't the same thing for you. 
When, when it's not about the life of Jesus Christ being on the inside of you because you've separated God into three and you just have the Holy Spirit, which is how God does stuff, and his power in you and not really him in you, then the problem is, is that, yes, you are going to sin and, yes, you should repent. And, and now how do we figure out where the balance is? The balance is created because God is one. And when he fills you with the Holy Spirit, he fills you with himself and he begins from the inside out to change your very desire. And so it's no longer about the things that you're doing. It's about the desires on the inside. And when the things that you're doing aren't matching the desires on the inside, you're coming to an altar saying, God, I I got to get rid of this. Help me, Lord Jesus. I want to be better, not just for me, God, but because you are worth it. Because I'm, I seem to, I seem to fall into the things that you had to die for. And God, I hate that in my life. Forgive me, Lord. And try me one more time. Amen. Amen. And so it's so so the legalists can calm down because it's like it's not about condoning sin and just saying, well, thank you, Jesus. You gave me what I need. Now I get to do whatever I want. The idea is, is whatever I want has changed. So you don't have to worry about, am I still allowing sin? No, I'm not allowing sin. I fall into it sometimes. But the desire, because of the new birth, has truly changed me. So grace is straightened out. Once saved, always saved isn't a bad phrase. It's just true. When I was born again, it was never going to leave me. When he filled me with his Holy Spirit, he was never going to take it away. And so we glory in the power of Jesus Christ. We glory in the power of the cross. And we do it truly because we understand that that is the thing that takes away the sin. And not my own studies in the word. And not, look, you should, you should study the word. You should, you should mature in your life and in the faith. You should, you should mature in self-control. Whoo. Sorry, should I leave? Self-control, that's so not a 2023 thing. I don't know. Like, yeah, you should mature in self-control. Just let that settle out. Self-control, that's still a thing, right? But so, so you should strive to grow into the stature and knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? But that's, but that's different than just like, God, I need to run away from my sins, and I'm scared of that. Like, that's a different thing. All right, so, so then this is, this is now connected to uh, no eternal hell. And so we can begin to, and you say, like, this one to, to message believers seems so obvious. And until you've really talked to some, you know, some good Baptist people, like, you, you may think, like, why is this even, why are we even talking about this? The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels, so it can't be eternal. Like, why is this even a, like, why is this a message doctrine? Because it just seems like it's no big deal. But it actually is a huge deal. Well, it's a huge deal to Baptists and Pentecostals and such. It's not a huge deal to us. But, but what we need to begin to understand is, is what, Brother Branham, what Brother Branham is telling us that hell is. 
And so he goes into souls that are in prison now. I'm quoting a lot of message sermons. I hope, I'm sure that's okay with everyone. But he goes into souls that are in prison now. And he begins to talk about, you know, he, his legs had been shot and he was bleeding and, 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 and he was dying there on a, on a hospital table. And he begins to have this vision that he's falling and he cries out for mom and no mom there, cries out for dad, no dad there, cries out for God. There's no God there. He said, I was falling through all hell alone, but yet there was these tormentors on the side that looked like the women that came up from the escalator in J.C. Penney's um, many years later because they had the green eyes and they were going, uh, uh. So, so what is hell? And Brother Branham tells us that hell is separation, eternal separation from God. Now, we understand that in the book of Revelations, there's all kinds of word pictures there. And I'm not saying there's no fire in hell or anything like that. But the lake of fire is a word picture But what of, of this whole thing that Brother Branham is, is saying that he's going through. He said a literal burning fire would have been better than that. But what he's telling us hell is, is eternal separation from God. And do you know that Brother Branham teaches us that, man, that God doesn't send any man to hell? You go there of your own accord. And Brother Branham even says that, that, that God put roadblocks in your way and you step over every roadblock to get to hell. So in a sense, what you're doing, like in a sense, okay, hell is eternal separation from God and you have to choose to do that, right? So really what, essentially what you're doing and what your actions are stating is looking up to God and pointing your finger and saying, God, I know that you have provided a way for me to be with you and I know what you want, but God, I, I don't want any part of you. I don't want to be with you now. I don't want to be with you in heaven. I want to do my own thing. I want to, I want to be my own God. So thank you. No, thank you. I don't want to be with you. And God says, okay. Okay, have it your way. Worst thing God could ever say to you is, have it your way. No, God, I would really rather have it your way. So what hell truly is, is not a place that God sends you to, to punish you for, your, for the, the things that you didn't do correctly. Hell is the place that you choose to go to because you have told God, I don't want to be with you. And God has said, okay. So it turns hell from punishment for your sins into the place that you go when you reject the offer of relationship that God himself has given to you. So, it's a, so, so in a sense, what we're doing is we're over here saying there's no eternal hell. It's that, that essentially at some point in time, you will wink completely out of existence. But hell is the absence of relationship with God. So what message doctrine is teaching us is, is that he, no eternal hell, that it's not just burning for your, your sins, but it's separation from God. What that is telling us is, is that hell is about relationship or the lack thereof, which turns our God into a loving God that's just saying, I just love you and I want you to be with me, but I understand and I'm giving you the choice. And if you choose something else, okay. I'm not going to make you do it. And so, Brother Branham preaches this, the message, souls in prison now. Because there's people who have already made that choice. But what's so wonderful is that if he can preach the sermon, souls in prison now, 
then there must be the opposite of that, right? There must then be souls in heaven now. If there are people who have already chosen their eternal destiny of a lack of a relationship with God, then there must already be people here walking on the earth who, I don't know, maybe like the Bible says, who are seated already in heavenly places. And our relationship, because what we've done is chosen the relationship with God that he has offered to us. Okay, is that, is that just not wonderful? Does that, is that not just a God that you say, God, I just want to love you so much. But this doctrine is a big deal to, um, to other denominations, to, to other, not other, just to denominational people. And why is that? Well... Well, because grace isn't straightened out, because they don't understand serpent seed, so they don't truly understand what a new birth is, and we'll get into Godhead, and that throws its own problems into there too. So now it suddenly is about your performance. Yes, the grace of Jesus Christ saves you, but if you don't stop sinning, God is going to send you... Did you want to come back to the altar before I finish this? God is going to send you to burn... In hell through all eternity. And that's how it's preached. I mean, not anymore in 2023. You know, now it's just, you know, come as you are, do whatever you want, um, and pay tithes. But, you know, to be, like, those people don't actually care. There are people who care, but because of their doctrine... This is what they're preaching to you. And I was sitting in a Baptist church. Um, we, we, we had a... Um, when, I was in, when I was doing school, we joined up with a Baptist church to have enough people for a basketball team. So we had a basketball tournament, and of course they wanted to have a devotion and a service after the basketball tournament. That's wonderful. Let's go. Like, we can't finish the basketball tournament. All went to the Baptist church, and the man preached. And I remember just so, I mean, this was, you know, 30 years ago or something around there. And I remember just sitting there and the man preaching and the example he's given of this young man who didn't give his life to Christ in the service and he got on a motorcycle and he sped away and, and, and that night, of course, he, he ran into a, 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 one of the rock dump trucks, you know, and then talked about how bad that was on his body um, and I won't go into that. And the man died. It's like, so come to the altar. And give your life to Christ. Like, that was the sermon. So, come to Jesus. Or get your body mangled by a rock truck. Horribly. Your mother will be so terrified. You you really going to not? Right? So, it begins to make it about fear begins to make it about if you do the right things, God will save you. You may be able to convince him with enough repentance and enough good works, the grace of Jesus Christ that he freely provided for you on the cross, and we're having a hard time bringing these two things together to make them make sense, but he will forgive you, but you must come and repent, and you must stop sinning, and you're, you know, and, and, and because they get into that mindset, then it becomes about performance, and then when they start being really good at performing, and okay, finally, I'm acting like a Christian, praise God, he saved me, and I'm doing all of these works, and it's so hard, But if, look, you don't get to have the grace of Jesus Christ freely and go and do whatever sin you want to sin when I'm sitting here trying so hard. So look, 
If you don't do it right, he's going to send you to burn through hell for all eternity. And don't you dare take that doctrine away from me because I am trying so hard and I obviously hate it. So I need people who don't do it like me to go and burn in hell. I told you I was going to make it ridiculous, but if you, if you logically go through the whole process, that is exactly what must be stated. Is that hell, they can't, they can't, like, I'm telling you, if you say, no, there's no eternal hell, people get mad. Why? Like, wouldn't that make Jesus a little nicer? Why would that make anyone mad? Like, no, I have got to see my enemies burn in hell. Like, wow, really? Spirit of Christ, just, you know. And no, I don't want it chopped off at a thousand years or a millennium years. It's got to be eternal burning. Because they didn't do it right for the 70 years of their life. So eternity of burning. That's what Jesus wants for you in the denominational world. So now we've contrasted these two, right? Oh my goodness, that timer's so bad. Um, We've got Jesus over here, and hell is only about relationship or lack thereof. It's It's truly a function of God's love. And over here, it's like, no, don't do it right, burn. Because... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a judgmental God standing up here in heaven wait, re- ready to punish you if you just look at me wrong. So, I, I mean, now you have a picture. You've, you've denomination and you've got message doctrine. And we're only through three of them. So we better move. Okay, baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation. So this makes it, this, this makes it, that, it's an, that it's an inward work. It it has no imitation. He says the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation, but the person of Christ performing in you the same works that he did. So just real quickly, what what, what, what he's talking about is people are coming, you know, Pentecostals are coming to the altar and they're shouting, they're screaming, they're speaking in tongues. Even the Methodists back in the day were doing these same things and saying, oh, we got the Holy Ghost because of the sensation that happened in the moment. And then they go and live However, they, maybe they're going to try, maybe they're sincere, whatever it is. They're doing what they can, but the baptism of the Holy Ghost became about the moment and not about the life that they went and lived. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you have the moment, wonderful. You must have the moment, but the moment, the, the thing that happens in the moment isn't what, you're, what we're looking for, isn't truly what the Holy Ghost does. Don't cheapen the Holy Ghost down to an experience that you had in an altar. The Holy Ghost is an experience that you have every day of changing your life, of molding from, from glory to glory. He's changing me. He's, he's, he's moving in me. He's doing something in me. And it's not just now something came upon me and I got super excited, but the life of Jesus Christ himself came on the inside of me. And it's changed me forever. It didn't change me for two minutes. And then I left and we went to, you know, Jason's Deli. But it changed me forever. So it's the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation. We're not talking about, look, it's an experience, but we're not looking at the sensations. Right? So over here, it's like, well, did you, you know, now, now our check ride is, it's like, you know, on top of already the, you know, let's, let's face it, the emotional scars that we've received after the no eternal hell thing over here on denominational Jesus. Like now, it's like, 
okay, but just have this really cool sensation. And I'm not really going to help you with the rest of your life and take away the whole, you know, eternal hell thing and grace thing. And, but at least you can come and have a cool sensation. Oh, that might preach, but we won't. So let's not reduce things down to that. So water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and, uh, and it, this is another one that, this, look, look, this is all pointing to relationship. Every single one of these is pointing to relationship. Baptism in the, in the, uh, <coughs> baptism in the Holy Ghost without sensation is pointing to, it's not a moment, it's not an experience, but it's the reality of Christ living on the inside of you in a relationship. Baptism in the name of the, uh, uh, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, which Brother Branham says you don't even need revelation. That's purely just in the scripture. Godhead, you might need revelation. You need revelation to understand. But baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is just plainly in the scriptures. But, but, but we begin to look at this, and, and, and this speaks to relationship. Well, because we can be obvious, like we know we are to be God's bride. So what are you going to be, Mrs. Jesus Christ or Mrs. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Which one sounds like you have a better relationship? You know, I've, I've often said it like this. I don't, and, and if you are this couple, you forgive me, but this is just, you know, I, I just use this example. You know, I, I've told my wife, like, look, we're not going to be, we're not going to become old and sit. We're, I mean, we're going to be old someday. That's, that's going to happen probably unless the Lord comes first. But we're not going to be the kind of couple that sits there on the front porch drinking our coffee and rocking in our rocking chair back and forth and, and I'm going to be like, well, mother. And she's going to say, yes, dad. I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I get it. I understand why, why couples get there. Because they refer to one another in, in front of their kids as your mom this and your dad that. And I get it. I get it. But we begin to refer to ourselves in the third person. And I want a first person relationship with my wife. I really do. I mean, and maybe I'll use some pet names, sweetie, honey, all that. But like her name is Anna Mae. My name is Trevor, you know. And I always talk about like the pickle jar of life, you know. Like I, you know, like I, 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 I want it to be personal. When my wife, you know, can't open the pickle jar, like it's like, well, father, father, like I am not your father, like, like Trevor, yeah. And because Brother Branham tells us in the Church Age book, like the sweetest sound to the human ear is the sound of your own name. So my wife is like, Trevor, and she brings me the jar, and I love those times, because you, you, know, you always, <clears throat> you get ready, you know, to flex, and of course, it's, you know, it's guy code that you do not make any expression of how hard this is as you open the jar. It could be the hardest thing you have ever opened in your entire life, but you do like it. You act like it is the easiest thing, and so you're just like. And if it takes a long time, you're just like, you know, giving the cold steel look, and you're like, wait for it, it's coming, you know. And you get the lid off, and you're like, there you go. And it's like, and I love those times because like she's calling on me in a first person to help her out. And where do I get that from? Do you think? Do you think maybe Jesus wants the same thing? We say, Jesus, I can't do it. And he comes and he opens the pickle jar of your life. And he, and he, and he helps, right? But he doesn't, he, why, if, if, you, if you don't want to be referred to that way, do you think Jesus Christ himself wants to be referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, would you come and help me? He's like, I have a name. Came in, came in my Father's name. 
you could, you could use it. And guess what? In the book of Revelation, he talks about he's going to call your name. Do you think maybe you should call his? And so baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is merely about personalizing who he is. It's making it real and it's making him a person. And so over here, we've got kind of an emotionally scarring God that if, it doesn't, that if, he does, if you don't perform, he's going to send you to burn in hell for all eternity. And he's kind of nameless unless you're going to you know, help little old ladies across the street or build a hospital. Then you do it in Jesus' name. But baptism, no, which never made sense to me either. But <clears throat> how am I doing on building denominational Jesus up here? Right? And he's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's three people, and we're not sure, and we're, we're about to get into Godhead. That's the next slide, I think. And is it the next slide? Go ahead. And yes, it is. And so, and so he's three people, and we're not sure which one we're actually supposed to have the relationship with. And it's probably all three of them, which is much harder. This is denominational Jesus. So if you leave the message and say, I just want Jesus, this is the Jesus you're, you want. The message is Christ. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so, so that this, because people had this idea, right? Okay, so Godhead, and this is a big deal. Um, it, it, it is, it's really a big deal because it makes him a person that you can know. And he's one person. He's one God. And this is going to go into, you know, this gets us to, to United Pentecostals. We, we've been kind of building through denomination world here. And now we get to United Pentecostals. And, and I don't know if you know any United Pentecostals or any, any conversations with them. But, but you know, they, they baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go United Pentecostals. Good job. They, they believe that God is one. Unfortunately, they believe that a little too specifically and too oneness. And that's a problem, and we'll talk about why that is. And, and, um, but there's so many things that we would agree with, you know, and, and, and they dress holiness generally, and that's, that's wonderful. And it's like, oh, man, praise God for these people. Like, the, the, they are probably the closest, um, doctrinally the closest denomination to us in, in, in the message. And we're not a denomination because nobody's mandating this, right? Okay? So we'd think, well, that's, that's wonderful, but even, and you'd think, well, that's, that's great, but because they don't understand Godhead correctly, and they don't understand, they, so they can't understand baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus, or not baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the baptism of the Holy Ghost correctly, because of those two things, you're going to get a very skewed picture. And so I just want, in the last 20, negative 25 seconds that I have, I want to talk about that really quick. <clears throat> Forgive me. Um, so, so I, I had a conversation that came was at the Branham Tabernacle, and these United Pentecostal kids came to just check out a service and started having a conversation with them afterwards. And th- this young man was one of the ones that was like, oh, you believe in once saved, always saved, like it was a bad thing. And, and you know, like I was going to have the Holy Ghost and then go, because we were talking about the Holy Ghost, because obviously they, as United Pentecostals, well, they're still Pentecostals, so they believe when they come to the, come to the altar and they speak in tongues that they receive the Holy Ghost, and then he's like, oh, yeah, but, and I was like, oh, that's wonderful, you know, and then the life of Christ is on the inside of you, and, you know, blah, 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 and, and you can live in, with him, and he's like, yeah, but if you sin, you know, you got to come back and get the Holy Ghost again, and speak in tongues again. I was like, mm. and that's why he's like, oh, you're one of those ones saved and always saved people, yeah, I've heard about you, you guys can just do whatever you want. With his life inside of me, yes, but, but because, but because, 
See, what United Pentecostals believe is that Jesus Christ always existed. The man, as, as Jesus Christ, always existed. And, and, so, and, he, and he's, he's so oneness, and the Holy Spirit is just his power. So you can, if Jesus is just Jesus in the body, he, then, he, then I don't know how they read Matthew, or, uh, John chapters 14 through 16, and I will come to you. But then, then, then you have the Holy Spirit as just being the power of God. So what their, their understanding is, and I even, um, with, with a soccer team that I'm, I'm a part of, um, we have a, a pastor that used to be United Pentecostal. And so I had a great conversation with him all the way up to Indianapolis and back for a soccer meeting that we had. And he was like, oh, man, yeah, we were oneness, man. You had to get to the altar. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why does being oneness mean you have to get to the altar? Like how? And he didn't even have an answer for it as a pastor. But I, but, but I, was, but I, began, to, I began to look at this and I, I began to recognize the problem is, is because they have Jesus so oneness that the Holy Spirit is now just power and it's not the indwelling of Christ himself that they have to come to the altar and repent and get the Holy Ghost and then they leave and it's not Jesus inside of them. They just had a temporary indwelling of power that makes them do stuff for God. But they never actually have the indwelling of, of God himself into their life. That's not what baptism of the Holy Ghost means to them. Why? Because they don't have Godhead correctly. And so that's the oneness side. The, 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 the Trinitarian side is, it's like, well, which one do you have with you? And, do you, and again, it's the Holy Spirit and it, he's just how God does stuff. And then he reports back to one of the other two. And they talk amongst themselves about whether or not you can be saved or not or something. Not really sure. How do you have a personal relationship with three? How do you have the indwelling with it's just Jesus? You see how personal the message that, 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 that all these doctrines, whew, don't fall off the platform. All of these doctrines come and they make Jesus Christ so personal. And so I began to say to this young man, I was like, hang on a second. Okay, hey, hey hold up. You baptize in the, name of Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because you're United Pentecostal. So you baptize like we do, like in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you're telling me is that these other, like assemblies of God and their other Pentecostals, and they baptize in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But what you're telling me is if you and, the, you and assemblies of God, kid, were in the same service, you came to the same altar, you both repented, and you both spoke in tongues, that even though you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that you both received the Holy Spirit? He's like, yes. <laughs> what good is your doctrine now? Like, does, does any of it matter then? Really? Like, why do you care so bad? Because they both got the Holy Spirit. So I don't think even what you understand of the Holy Spirit is even what the Holy Spirit truly is. And you see what happens. And so that, you know, this understanding. And again, I would, I, this wasn't stump the chump. I, I just went to church that Wednesday night. And here's a United Pentecostal kid that I'm just having a conversation with. I wasn't trying to outdo him and you know, stick my message doctrine to him. I was just having a conversation and trying to figure out what he meant as it didn't make sense. <laughs> right? But even United Pentecost, which is as close as you could probably get doctrinally to the message, understanding, and they still have a very skewed and warped understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is. And all of these things begin to break down when one of these points is broken or is skewed or is not. Is, and, and so isn't it, isn't it wonderful then that, that we had a prophet to come to t- all of these, as we talked about, all of these loose ends, 
all throughout denominations. They understood. They had all of these things that we, under, that, that we have the same scriptures. They had all of these things, but they didn't understand it. And then God, because God fulfills his word. And we had prophecy that said all of these things would be restored. All of these mysteries would be tied up. And when that happened, because it happened and has been manifested, the understanding we have is this picture of Jesus Christ, who is a Jesus Christ that you can truly know and love, that wants to live in you, that wants to change you, that wants to make your life more than you ever thought possible. And it's only the message of the hour that was able to come and God sending a prophet because of the doctrine of the pillar of fire that, that now we live in an age that God vindicated that there was a pillar of fire that came to show us this is the guy that I am anointing to tie up the mysteries because I want to call out a bride. And if I want to call out a bride, that means I want to have a relationship with someone. So I'm going to show myself as the God you can have a relationship with. And denominations reject that because of their churches and because of their status and because of this and because of that. And they show you a, a, a picture of Jesus Christ. They don't, they're not doing it because they're mean. They're not doing it because they're bad. They have been affected by the, the trail of the serpent all throughout the church ages as, as, the, as, as the devil has eaten off the life and he's taking, uh, you know, the, the four bugs, the palmer worm, canker worm, locust, and caterpillar came. They ate the leaves and they ate the bark and they ate the life and all of these things. But I will restore, saith the Lord. But there's denominational people preaching a Jesus Christ the best that they can. And thank God, I'm so glad that there are still Christians. Can you imagine if we didn't have denominational Christians in the world and it was just, you know, atheists, Muslims, and message people? That sounds like a bad place to live. So thank God for these people. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying anything against them. But this doctrine is, it's just so messed up. So I thank God he sent us a prophet to show us not messed up Jesus. Is that okay today? So yes, young people, old people, God sent a prophet in our day. And we got to hear what he has to say because that is not who he is. This is who he is. This message is Christ the living Christ, the reality of Christ. So I'll glory that God didn't just give me Jesus and I've got to have a prophet. Hey man, I'm okay with it if this is the Jesus that I have. And by the way, like he kind of prophesied, you know, that he would come and do all of this. And people are like, oh, that's so offensive. They all, they say the message is Christ. It's like, we're not saying Brother Branham is Christ. We're saying the doctrines that he brought are the living word of God revealed to us. We're saying John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the prophet came and restored the word. Well, thank God. But people are like, yeah, tired of hearing about a prophet. I just want Jesus. This is the Jesus that you get. Now, now, when people leave the message and because they just want Jesus, they're not being honest. Because they're taking the parts of Jesus that they learned in the message 
and just saying, I just want the, those nice things. I just don't want a profit. And you're like, but that's not honest. You only understand any of that because of a profit. So you can't like be taught by a prophet and say, well, pff, I just don't want the prophet anymore. I just want Jesus. Like the prophet was to lead you to Jesus Christ. Yes. But to sit there and reject. And now I get to say, well, I liked some of the things, but I didn't like other things. It, that's just not being honest. You may as well be honest and just say, look, this is what you get. You don't get your understanding. If you leave the message, you don't get your understanding of church ages. You don't get your understanding of seven seals. You don't get an understanding of trumpets. The book of Revelation now must just be, which my own chiropractor told me this because he was in a Bible study um, group and they were going through the book of Revelations. And I've heard this multiple times, not just my chiropractor, but he literally said this to me, you know, just seems like the book of Revelations is John, you know, John had some bad pizza and went to bed and had, had these dreams and wrote them all down. Yep, that's the Christian understanding of the book of Revelation. But I just want Jesus. I want Jesus and bad pizza revelation. I mean, I wish I made that up. I truly do. But, but that's the reality of it. That's truly how... Just not, I, Is it naivety? Is it, is it, I, I, don't, I don't even get it. Like I just... I just I, I, it's it's unfathomable, to, unfathomable to me to see that. And then... And then people are like, yeah, but I just, like, I don't want the prophet anymore. That's what you had. Look, let's, let's just be real honest. It got this bad, so God sent a prophet. Right? Right? So the only way, the only way you can have the Jesus that we talked about over there is because God sent a prophet. Because before Brother Branham, the best you had was United Pentecostal, and even that was messed up, as we've already said. So you, you just didn't get it any better. And you never would have until God fulfilled his word. And the point of all of it is, is when God fulfilled his word, it brought us who Jesus Christ was. This was the point of him fulfilling his word. Relationship with me. Calling out a bride. Come and be Mrs. Jesus Christ. Come and let me live in you. Walk in you. Change your very natures, your very desires. Let me do all of it for you. You can go into the church age book and how the key is on his shoulder. And, and it talks about the bride ceremony. How the, the, the bridegroom is saying, I'm taking the responsibility, the obligation, and the care for her. This is what God himself is doing for you. It's no longer about works. It's not about performance. It's about him. It's about his life being born on the inside of you and you walking with him and him living in you. This is the most wonderful thing that has ever, ever, ever hit this earth. Because even when Adam and Eve were walking in the Garden of Eden, and we could think, wow, they were dwelling in the love of God. How wonderful it must have been. Yet at the same time, because they were perfect, they never really truly knew the depths of God's love. But we in this day know that the depths of God's love, that God doesn't just love those that are perfect, but he loves those that are imperfect. The depth of God's love is now known to us better than they knew it in the Garden of Eden. We know the full extent of his love to you and I. 
This is the greatest thing. This is Jesus Christ. This is what we have today. It's not just doctrines to make you all spiritual. It's doctrines to introduce Jesus Christ to us. This is why we can say this message is Christ. And I'm just so okay with that. Amen. Finish with this quote from the Pergamian Church Age. Brother Branham saying again in John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, the word is come, he will guide you into all truth. Musicians, you can come, please. And he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear the word of God, that shall he speak the word, and he will show you things to come. The spirit bringing the word of prophecy. I want you to note very carefully, Jesus did not say the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost was speaking in tongues, interpreting, prophesying, shouting, or dancing. Hey, this is message 101 right there, right? I mean, we we all get that, right? He said the evidence would be that you would be in the truth. You would be in the Word of God for your age. Evidence has to do with receiving the Word. Now, people get offended from this comment because what they, you know, what they say is like, what you're saying is, is you have to believe the message. Aren't you just creating another denomination? And in a sense, that's a fair criticism, but that's not actually, like, but now that we've seen what, when the word came, what it actually produced, doesn't it just Isn't it just the most obvious thing ever that evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost, which he is the word, would be that you're going to be in the word for your age. When this is presented to you and you go, yeah, I don't want that. I want this. The Holy Ghost does that? No. It couldn't possibly be. The word for our age is revealing Christ to us. So yes, the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost is receiving the word for your day. Because the word for your day is Jesus Christ. Not like, oh my goodness, you know. Not in the, not in the whole message colloquial understanding, you know, the word is Christ. Like, no, like the word that were spoken, the ideas and the thoughts of Almighty God being expressed through this message is showing Jesus Christ. So yes, the, the word, receiving the word for your age is to receive this revelation of who He is. That has to be the Holy Ghost. We're not making some new denomination out of other doctrines. We're just saying that when God fulfilled His word by sending a prophet, this is what it was. It was him. And how could you walk away from that and say you have the Holy Ghost? You can't. It wouldn't make any sense. So yes, the evidence is not just screaming, shouting, being spiritual. The evidence is receiving the word for your age. Because the word is Jesus Christ revealed to you. And you've got to accept Jesus Christ if you're going to say you have the Holy Spirit. So... When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit in our age? Aren't you thankful for the truth that we've been given in our age? To me, this message is the most wonderful thing. It shows us who Jesus Christ is and makes us, it makes him make sense in a way that we can know him and love him. That's thrilling to me. Just, it makes God so real to me. I, this message, I just, 
I am one of those guys that just like, I just love this message. Like, it's just the coolest thing ever. Like, you start seeing these things, and God, you know, we, we, we were, um, had, had a little um, Bible study last night with the young people, and I, I just li- live for those moments when you're saying something, and somebody's, you could just like, somebody catches the thing that you're saying, and then it's just like, poof, you know, and I was just like, yes, I love those times, you know, like, this message does that to me all the time. And every time, God's just like, boom, like, you see this? And it's just like, it's like, it's like seeing, like, the most amazing painting you ever saw, like, all over again. And you're like, wow, like, how did I not see all this detail before? And suddenly all the detail is just there and open before you. And you're just like, I thought this was a great painting. And now I'm sitting here going, like, And I feel like that's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing today, right now, is, brothers and sisters, this message is the most amazing thing we've been given to us. It shows us Jesus Christ in ways we ne- like, without it we would not have. And I am so thankful that God in his grace opened my eyes to see this word. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Oh, God, I'm so humbled to be one of those that had inside something to hear with, oh, God. Which just means, Lord, there are two groups of people. and, And God, if I had the ability to hear, well, it just showed which group I was a part of, oh, God. And I'm so humbled by that, Lord, because I know I still fail you so often. And I, oh God. But I'm so thankful for your grace, Lord. Your holding, staying power, Lord God, that calls me, that excites me, that draws me in unto you, Lord. And not into just, oh, any intellectualism or any emotionism, but Lord, you're calling me and drawing me into you, into a walk with you, Lord. that's so amazing Lord and I love you so much speak now Lord your truth to our hearts individually oh God as we worship you now in Jesus name Amen
song one more time, Falling in Love with Jesus. Did you enjoy that this morning? I, I really did. I, it's pretty clear to me. I'm not the smartest guy, but it's pretty clear to me that I want this. Amen. Not this over here. And that the message actually is a relationship that you are building personally. Amen. Um, may have even been the last time Brother Trevor was here that it really made a difference in my prayer life, which was feeling like you're going out on the back porch having coffee with a friend and you're just talking to him. And that impacted my life so much in my prayer life because growing up, you know, I always have always struggled with that fear side, right? Get your life right or you're going to hell, which is true but it's because you've got to step over all these obstacles to actually do that versus I'm just going to sit there and just say, Lord, good morning. It's, uh, it's a great day today. I'm getting ready to go to work, and uh, I'm having a tough time today with this situation and that situation, and Lord, you know what I'm scared about today. Can you help my son, my daughter with their tests today? Can you help my wife? She wasn't feeling so good this morning having those personal relationships. It's not some fancy thing that's way off there, that's spooky. Amen. It's just falling in love with Him. And He's your friend. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to 
be there with you. He wants to help you. And we're all going to go through tough times. We're all probably going through something right now. But he just wants you to fall in love with him and just say, hey, Lord, I need help today. I, I got this going on. I got that going on. Keep me safe when I'm driving to work this morning, please, Lord. Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. Amen. Is that the best thing that's ever happened to you? Amen. Falling in love with Jesus. We're falling in love with Jesus. We're falling in love with Jesus. What's the best thing I have ever done? Well, in his arms, I feel protected. Oh, in his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel rather be so falling in love with Jesus we're falling in love with Jesus oh falling in love with Jesus was the best him one more time falling in love yes falling in love with Jesus amen oh falling in love with Jesus falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I did Ever done in his arms. Oh, in his arms, I feel protected. Well, in his arms, never disconnected. Oh, in his arms, I feel protected. There's no place I'd rather be cause falling in love with Jesus oh falling in love with Jesus we're falling in love with Jesus what's the best thing I Samuel, could you come and close the service in a word of prayer? Let's uh, remember this week, uh, no service this Wednesday. Let's keep our pastor uh, in your prayers. Him and Sister Becky are uh, just getting a little bit of rest and relaxation. And uh, and then let's also remember all those that are sick and uh, 
are traveling or will be traveling for the holidays. Amen. Our heads, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, in our lives, Lord. We just thank you for your word, Lord. We just love you. You're the creator, Lord, our healer of everything, Lord. You're our husband, Lord. We believe to be your bride this morning, Lord. We just ask that we take this word that we heard this morning, Lord, and just let it grow in our hearts, Lord. Just let us worship and praise you this week, Lord. We just love you and give all the glory and honor to you, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We need you, Lord, as we are dismissed. That's what I need, amen. We need you, Lord, amen. No matter what's going on in our life, we need him, amen. We need you, Lord. Need you, Lord, right now. Amen. our hands we bow our knees